like your style. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 6 of iFreaks. This week on our panel we have Rod Schmidt. Hello from Salt Lake City. We also have Keith Hodgson. Good morning from San Francisco. We also have Ben Sherman. Hello from Houston, Texas. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv and we have a special guest this week. That is Saul Mora. Hello from Denver. Denver. I thought you said Fort Collins. Is that not the same thing? <laughs> no, that's where the beer is. Okay. Oh, I <laughs> right. see. But yeah, that wouldn't be so bad to go and get some beer now. <laughs> if you go uh, and get too much beer, is it a one-way trip? <laughs> Sober up? Yeah. Well, I have to take somebody else with me. Oh, there you go. But uh, no, um, yeah, that's where the, the New Belgium Brewery is. So uh, I, I take guests over there quite often. So if anybody comes and visits me in Denver, uh, we'll definitely head on up there. Well, I don't drink alcohol, but I'm going to be in Denver this weekend. Cool. Maybe I'll come and shake your hand, buy you lunch or something. Yeah, just let me know. Awesome. You get to be the driver. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I don't know what my wife would say about that. <laughs> well, there, there are plenty of breweries out here to visit, so we can visit them anywhere. Awesome. Well, this week we're going to be talking about core data, or do you call it core data? I thought that was uh, that was an English thing. Uh, Pete might know. I refer to it as cord de tar. <laughs> <laughs> it's the French pronunciation. I say I still say data. It's one of the few English things that I still say the English way rather than the American. So do you say beta or beta? I say. Oh, that's a good question. I think I say beta now, just because it's like a. Uh, you know what? I was going to say just because that's a software thing, but data is a software thing, so I don't know. We have gotten to him. Great. Yeah. My uh, my <laughs> cover is blown. Actually, actually a native Texan. Yeah. See, now, now you only sound cool when you're talking about things other than computers. Yeah. All right. So core data, it's a way of storing data on your iOS device. Is that correct? It is. Core data is, is an object persistence uh, or an object graph persistence framework. So... So yeah, it's it's not really like the classic ORM thing that uh, maybe Java or C sharp people might be used to with tools like Hibernate or nHibernate things like that. So it's an interesting framework of classes that let you store data on a disk or anywhere really. So do you use it to interface with your APIs, or do you use other libraries for that then? You really don't have Core Data talk to anything else. It's like you tell Core Data what to do, and it just kind of stores stuff for you. Um, by other APIs, I'm guessing you might be meaning... Um, External APIs, yeah. Like some other uh, data store or a database or a database server. Core data does not connect to uh, any other databases uh, without some significant uh, implementation uh, by somebody. Yeah, so like you might be used to doing, uh, I don't know if you're from Java or something, but they have like a JDBC connectors interface thing, which is a lot more along the lines of a classic SQL backend kind of thing where you have a server sitting off somewhere or maybe like a local server on your local machine and it connects through sockets or network pipes or something like that. Um, core data is basically running in the same process as your app and it's really just an interface for your app to store data somewhere. And, and I, I keep using the word somewhere because um, the data can, um, can be stored in, in, in a number of different formats. 
So uh, one of them is, uh, the most common one is uh, SQL. So I'm sure everybody's familiar with SQLite. Um, Core Data uses that as its, um, as its backend, uh, just because it's, it's, it's got really uh, nice benefits. Uh, I'm sure for a lot of people are familiar with SQL and they probably, um, if you don't use Core Data and uh, you use iOS, you probably store stuff using FMDB or some other, you know, um, data persistence mechanism that way. Yeah. So, there's, uh, you know, SQLite is really nice because it it serializes everything to disk, and you have this kind of relational database lookup format. So, what's really nice about it is that when you're debugging your 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 core data store and whether or not data made it in or in in the right format or not, you can just open it up in a tool like Base and just read the data straight off, and it's really nice that way. But it's also nice because data stays on the disk longer. And you don't have to have all that stuff in memory. So it's very efficient. Uh, it's kind of a balanced efficiency between having all the data in memory versus having it on disk and having the right objects in memory or not at, at any particular time. So, so does anybody really even use the XML store? So I think the XML store is very uh, legacy. Um, originally, it was presented as a store that let that you should use during debug mode because it was human readable. Um, nowadays, XML is human readable. <laughs> right. My, my eyes. My eyes. <laughs> right. Those angle brackets getting in your eye and they pull them out. Stabbing right? me. Stabbing me. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I, I don't really know how, how people got along before SQLite, I guess. Maybe XML was enough. But, uh, yeah, the XML store is available. I don't really use it that often, like you're saying. Um, there's two other options, though. There's, um, the binary store. So, uh, Core Data kind of has its own custom binary format, which is non-human readable at all. So you can't just open this up in a text editor and, and really see anything useful. Um, you won't be able to see structures or anything. It's just literally a binary format. And, uh, you just say, Hey, use the binary store and it writes it all and it just keeps track of it. That's an internal Apple kind of file format. And the other one, uh, and I think it also uses the same, same or similar one for the in memory store. So you can have like an in memory cache of your, your data objects there and just let them live in memory. And that's not, too recommended on iOS devices given the, you know, memory constraints and things. That's why SQLite is a really good uh, option for data storage on iOS um, because everything is, is still present, but it's not actively living in memory when you're not using it. It sounds like none of these other options are any use really apart from the SQL the SQLite. Is that I mean, what what use cases would there be for using something like in for all yeah for all practical purposes? Uh, you just want to use the SQLite store, but you know there may be occasions. I mean, uh, sometimes if you're using if you have temporary objects, um, you might want to have those in an in memory store if you have. Uh, but even then, that might not be the best thing. You just have a different context and you have some temporary objects in there. Um, I wrote an article way back in the day about basically um, transient entities. It's on uh, Coco is my girlfriend, um, and uh, yeah, there's there's really just three options. You know, like I said, uh, one is to have an in-memory store. The other one is uh, just a scratch context. I forgot what the other one was. I have to look at my own article, I guess. Uh, it's a good thing I wrote these things down. But another option is to not set a uh, store at all for the object i believe so when you initialize it you just don't give it a context and it just kind of lives you know hangs around but doesn't really connect to any persistent store whatsoever it may be a good time to take a 
broader look at like all the pieces involved, like if you were to start from scratch? Yeah. Like what is so, a store? What is a context? Yeah. So core data has a lot of moving pieces and, uh, it, you know, when you open up that, that default template from when you open up a file new project and you select, uh, core data as an option, um, you'll see all the pieces in your app delegate. You know, for one, putting in them all in your app delegate is, is not something I recommend. And I'll talk more about that later. But yeah, so you can see all the pieces there. And the first piece that, that you're going to interact with a lot when you're using core data is the NS manage object. So you can think of this thing as basically a row in your database in your in your table uh, this thing is just a key value store of all your, your you know your attributes and the values that they're trying to store and this manage object is managed by a manage object context and the context you can think of it as um i guess it's just a workspace as a storage area for for the in memory objects so this thing is what handles um, fetching uh, the objects, uh, saving them, and uh, some of the other overhead and managing uh, what objects, what managed objects are in memory at any one time. So yeah, it's there's just a unit of work pattern. Uh, a unit of work implies uh, an algorithm, right? No, I think right. it's just a, a way to batch things so that you can undo them or um, or isolate saves to that one. Uh, specific operation. And the alternative would be, like, say, each one of your objects has a save method on it, in which case you can't really do atomic operations that involve multiple entities. So, you know, it would almost model to a transaction. Is that That's what I was going to want to say. Right. Um, in your code, you could think of it as a more or less a transaction. Um, I think in the database, I think it doesn't I'd have to look at the actual SQL logs that are generated, but it doesn't explicitly use transactions. Um, so it'll just use one, uh, you know, one, one statement and kind of, you know, let the database manage the transactions. Um, but I could be wrong on that. I, I haven't looked at the, the logs in quite a while. But yeah, so when you do saves, you do want to do them on your managed object context. And, you know, this throws people, a lot of people off because, I think a lot of people want to just have, I have one object and then I want to save that object right away. And they do that on the context. But the thing is, if you have a lot of objects kind of with all of your data updates uh, in, in a particular context and you save that context, you can save, save everything that that context, um, any painting changes that context has. So you need to kind of uh, just be aware of what's uh, what's changed there and uh, you know what needs to be saved. Uh, saves can kind of take a long time, but we'll get into that in a, in a little bit here. But uh, so let's continue down the rest of the stack. Um, so those are the two objects that you're going to be working with most often: the the manage object and the manage object context. Um, the next one, kind of down the stack is the uh, NS Persistent Store Coordinator. So this is the thing that will coordinate um, the data transfer between uh, your contexts and your persistent stores. Um, this coordinator can actually, it's, it's, it's weird, it's kind of like this, this locking funnel. I, I, it, so it, it manages threading uh, it, in a, to a certain extent. So you can have multiple persistent stores connected to a single persistent store coordinator. And it handles a lot of the threading and the locking and things that are needed for that to happen. And yeah, it, it's a nice way to just have have a really simple uh, access to uh, multiple stores. So 
we have the coordinator and the coordinator knows how to transform the data that you give it via the context. Um, it knows what the store should look like via the NS manage object model. Uh, the, the manage object model uh, correlates directly to what database people might know as a schema. And what I really like about the manage object model is the, the entity designer. Now, some people might hate that thing, but um, I find it really handy because what it lets you do is design your object hierarchy visually and you can add entities and attributes and relationships and subclasses and things like this um, all visually and you can kind of get a visual sense for what uh, your object graph looks like and I find that super handy when I'm debugging things when I'm designing stuff um, a lot of times I'll just design my uh, my app data in the visual designer first without doing anything just to kind of get a sense of what the data will look like and just having it visually there lets me kind of mentally walk through a lot of things so i find that pretty handy and uh, it's it's um it's pretty straightforward when you add attributes and things you can set properties like you would on um on core data entities so um so you can have you know a date attribute or a string attribute or a float things like that so so in code they look like the objects that you would expect, but they get translated uh, via the core data framework to um, to actual uh, actually whatever the database um, you know the underlying stor storage mechanism wants. Is there an option to do that with code, or do you have to do it with the the um, do it graphically? Uh, you could do it with code if you were so inclined to keep stabbing yourself in the eye like that. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> It's it's kind of you know I'm not a big fan of doing um, if I could do it in a visual editor and and it works fine um, I will do it that way that's why I prefer nibs over um, coded interfaces that's sure. why I'll take um, you know this this visual object designer versus writing it in code um, but you can create everything you you see in the visual designer in code um, you have to learn uh, some of some of the um, the meta core data objects that describe that. So every time you create an entity, for example, in that entity designer, um, you're actually describing an NS entity description object. And uh, that is the thing that is your meta entity. And that is basically like class objects for, for managed objects, right? So um, you're telling it what the attributes are, um, you know, what the relationships are, what types those things are, so all that stuff. So. Um, and each one of those things, there's like an NS uh, relationship description, an NS attribute description. Um, all the pieces in that designer are um, actual classes under the covers. And that designer just makes it a lot easier to work with, in my opinion. Okay. Because I know that there's some, there's, there's a kind of a, a, a slightly, I don't know, weird school of thought that, of um, people that don't like, don't like nibs and want to do stuff programmatically, but maybe there's less of a movement for. Yeah, so the core data editor is really nice now. Um, so, you know, I think people don't like nibs for the reason that um, they're XML-based, but you really don't know what's going on in all that XML jungle. They're hard to merge. They're hard to... Um, but, but, but it's human-readable. <laughs> it is XML is human-readable. I'm sorry I forgot that. So surprisingly, the core data um, file that 
gets generated by this editor is actually really readable by actual humans, not not these you know mechanical humans that these other things are talking about. Evil robots, right? You know, bots or things. I don't know, but but the entity description or that that model file is you you could open that up in your text editor you can actually see what's going on you could see the entities their names their attributes you can see how they're related it is very readable it is a very readable form of xml versus the object dump that is that is nib files yeah so you said that i'm still trying to get my head around some of this so the models or the core data structures or whatever you want to call them you said that it's not uh, an ORM in the traditional sense. So, is it just kind of a class with an interface to the data layer, or I still don't completely understand how that all works? Uh, how what works? <laughs> so, you know, let me let me let me finish off with the, the persistent store. Maybe this will help clear up. So, we've got kind of a top-down stack, right? So, when you're interfacing with core data from your app's perspective. Generally, you're going to start with the manage objects and your maybe view controllers or some other controllers uh, might have references to the manage object context. And th- when you initialize a manage object context, you want to give it a persistent store and you're going to tell it which model that you're working with, uh, or persistent store coordinator, sorry, and you're going to tell it the model that you want to work with. And from there, you're going to add a persistent store. So the store is a, it's a separate object. So you kind of have this kind of linear uh, flow of data. It starts at that manage object and it goes down to the persistent store through those other pieces. Mm-hmm. And the persistent store can be any storage format that Core Data supports. And uh, you can also have custom storage formats, which... Uh, and we can talk about in a, in a little bit here. But by default, like we were talking about, you know, you have the XML, the binary store, the in-memory store, and the SQLite store uh, out of the box from Core Data. And basically what you want to do is when you initialize your persistent store coordinator, you're going to tell it, hey, add this persistent store at this URL. It's going to be this file name. And it is going to be of this type. And I'm going to have certain options on it. And, and tell me if there's any errors. And that's all in a single method on the persistent store coordinator. There's too many of these, uh, these class names to kind of start, start running together. But yeah, so when you interface with it, you're going to really just talk to it really through the context and the objects themselves. That's really your interface. And that's why I really try to make people understand, or I really want people to understand that it's a, it's an object graph. You're dealing with managed objects. You're not dealing with managed rows. So let's say we had a hypothetical model with like uh, books and authors. Uh, so inside our core data editor, we will uh, drag in an entity that is a book and it's got a title and an ISBN and then um, drag in an author. And since books can have multiple authors and authors can have multiple books, then you would set a too many relationship on both sides, uh, let's say. And core data will make you refer to the parent. Is that correct in all cases? So if you have a relationship to a child object, the child has to have a relation back to the parent. Right. So um, this is one of the things I was thinking about as far as trying to explain the difference between like normal objects and managed objects. In core data, like you're saying, when you define relationships between entities, core data really wants bi-directional relationships. That's that, you know, um, you know, an entity one points to entity two and entity two points back to entity one. And this reinforces the concept of a graph. Uh, if you think back to some of your college days, 
and maybe some uh, networking theory. You remember, um, ob- you know, just network graphs and things. You know, object, you know, core data is really just an object graph in the exact same sense. So you could do, you know, um, you know, least, uh, what was it, shortest distance between object algorithms with core data and it would manage all the memory and stuff for you. So core data is, is, is a lot different than an ORM, at least in, in that regard. Um, but the thing is, you know, I was, again, getting back to the difference between uh, regular objects and managed objects. In regular objects, you don't have to have bi-directional relationships. You know, when you have object A, you know, having a reference to object B, it, object B doesn't necessarily point back to object A. I mean, if you did, you'd have a, you know, a memory cycle, right? So that would be bad. But in, in core data, you want that because you want to be able to traverse the graph. The idea with core data being a graph is you can get to any data that's related to any other piece of data from any any entry point. So you can fetch any of the objects from core data and then you can traverse the relationship graph to get to another related set of data, which, you know, might be possible in ORMs, but that's really not, I don't think that's really the key. Yeah, I don't think that's what they focus on. I think that's, it's definitely, you know, I have a, a pretty extensive background within Hibernate and you can definitely do that. However, it has implications of your database performance. And I think the the same is true for core data. However, they want you to forget that you're running on a database uh, because you might not be. And so right, because it, it wants you, to manage that for you. So um, it, I guess it would, um, I guess it's a good time to get into faulting and what that means. Right. Uh, so faulting. So like I said, you know, core data handles a lot of the memory for you. So um, with regular objects, now we have the, the wonderful advent of ARC, and we don't have to do retains and releases. But with core data, it, it really is, uh, it does a lot of memory management for you as well. Um, and it has events and things. So faulting means that your object is, um, has an ID reference. So you kind of have a shell object, uh, available to you. So you, so you have a book entity. And if you have a faulted, or, or sorry, the faulted one is where it's in memory. When it's not faulted means that it's, uh, it's still in the store, but you have this shell object kind of laying around. Um, so when you have this shell object, all you have is really this, a really lightweight managed object, and all it has is, is a managed object ID. This ID is basically your unique uh, record identifier uh, in your store. And when you access any property on that particular object, the core data will then go and fault all of the data uh, from core data into memory. So then you have instant access. And what's nice about it, and what I really like about it, is that you didn't have to do anything to trigger that that memory loading. So um, even though you had to fetch the object, um, if you fetched it as um, uh, you know as just these shell objects, you know you don't have to trigger the framework to to go and populate all that data for you when you have when you actually need it. It's a really nice, convenient way to lazy load all of your data. Is there a way to kind of do an eager? I guess it would be eager faulting to kind of avoid n plus one type stuff. Right. So there is uh, another object in the core data framework called NSFetchRequest. And this is what handles all of the requests that you want to get out of core data. So you want to, so, you know, you have a book entity and you want to have all books that start with the word, um, I don't know, Odyssey or something. I don't know. But so, you, you know, you have this request and you have this kind of clause that you're looking up. So um, you, you create a request and you set your predicate and you set a whole bunch of other things that you want to happen on this request and what you can always what you can also set 
on these requests is this property that's uh, I think set returns as false. And I believe you can set that to no. Um, you should definitely read the docs. I don't have them in front of me, but there's there's a method in there that just says, you know, return these as faulted or non-faulted and just set the, the proper Boolean attribute. And uh, that will avoid, you know, the, the lazy loading feature if you really want to do that. Gotcha. So it's kind of one of those, don't think about it as a database until you have to remember that it's a database kind of things. Right. There will be times where, you know, the, the type of persistent store that you're using um, if you understand what's going on there, will help you optimize some of the performance. But and that's only going so far as uh, making sure your predicates are in the right way, uh, basically in the right order. And uh, some of the dubdub videos actually explain uh, a lot of the things that you need to think about with the predicates. You really shouldn't have to know the underlying store as as far as optimizing your core data usage, but sometimes it helps. I mean, I guess this is probably the N plus one problem is less of an issue when, when the SQLite database is in the same process. It's not like you're making N plus one network requests. You're just maybe hitting the disk a few more times or just, you know. Yeah, but bounce. you could be doing that while scrolling, which would be ah. really bad. So, I mean, I think the same gotcha. problems apply. So, I mean, while you're not supposed to know that you're running on a database and never treat it like that, the reality is it's a leaky abstraction and sometimes you do need to know so that you can see what exactly is core data doing under the hood. And because it doesn't, because your interface with it is not SQL queries and parameters and statements and that sort of thing, you don't know when it's making a query. So uh, one of the tricks I like to do is if you go to your arguments, if you edit your your active scheme and you edit your arguments, you can add a, um, a command line argument to your program. And if you add the one that's, it's com.apple.coredata.sqldebug1, uh, then it will log out all your SQL statements, which of course makes your app really slow, but it will tell you exactly when queries are being run and that sort of thing. And I like to run with that on occasionally so I can see if it's doing what I expect it to do. Is there a good way of seeing everything that is in the database? Or, Well, if you're using SQLite, you can open up the actual SQLite file. It's really easy to get to if you're running the simulator. Um, you just peek into your application folder on your, your hard drive and uh, just open the, that up in a, in a tool like Base. Um, Base is, I don't know, it was like $15, I think. Maybe it's more. But yeah, that's it's a really useful tool to just kind of load up the database file and just peek inside. But, you know, the leaky abstraction thing is is not as leaky as you might think because core data will let you talk to any persistent storage mechanism that, that you want to use. So there's other things like uh, CouchDB or Mongo or Tokyo Cabinet. Somebody could go and write an NS Atomic store for those particular types, and I don't think they use SQL to, to do their thing. And even if they did, you could also have an Atomic store that stores your file as JSON. Well, JSON doesn't support SQL at all. I mean, that you have to write your own query language for that. So it's not necessarily a leaky abstraction that you think it is. It's only leaky because you happen to know that SQLite is the underlying storage mechanism. Yeah, so you probably have different performance considerations if you're running under a different store. And hopefully you would have some visibility into avoiding some of the edge cases that make things a little bit problematic. right? Like if you're, if you're fetching a gigantic entity and all you really wanted was one um, attribute from that entity, then it would be faster in SQL to only do use that uh, column in the select clause. And you can influence core data to make that 
query by specifying the attributes to fetch. Uh, but again, I don't think you need to like optimize this stuff from day one. I just think that th- there may come a time when you need to know what the underlying story is doing so you can influence it to do the right thing. Right. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of debate as to whether like core data is actually the right tool for the job. You know, back when uh, core data was first released for iPhone OS 3 um, back in the day, I, I knew uh, a number of like newsreader apps that were coming out onto the, uh, you know, into the app store and they were using core data. And then they eventually, you know, just said, hey, core data is too slow. And, you know, it can be slow. So the thing is, is the reason like a SQLite having direct access to the database might be faster is doing um, really large, you know, single uh, value attribute updates. So um, the, the most famous article on the interwebs out there is by Brent Simmons. And it was like, uh, you know, why I moved away from core data or something like that. And it was for Net Newswire and um, the performance was not happening when somebody had, you know, a thousand plus articles. And they wanted to set them all to red, you know, so that you can, uh, you know, with core data, what you have to do is fetch all of your objects into memory, loop over those objects, set the attribute to, you know, is red is true or whatever, whatever it happens to be, and then save them at the end of that loop. Now, in the database world, that's called a cursor, I believe, and that is uh, extremely slow because you're loading all this data into memory, flipping one bit, and then and then setting it back. Whereas if you do that on, you know, any SQL database whatsoever, including SQLite, if you just do a update these uh, values, you know, or set, I forgot what it is. I don't even do SQL anymore. That's how often I use it, right? <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's it's update column with this value um, where, you know, the, you know, the row matches this predicate, whatever. You know, you just do that in one line of SQL and it doesn't have to load anything into memory. It just loops over those rows and sets that bit one by one. And that's, it's far more efficient than what core data can do in that particular example. So I wonder if we could uh, talk about like managed object context strategies, because uh, I, I think the docs state pretty clearly that, you know, you aren't supposed to use managed object context across threads. And so the question then becomes, well, do I want one main context for my whole app or do I want one main context per view controller or perhaps create one for whatever particular operation I'm doing and then destroy it? What is the best strategy there? So there's um, there's a few strategies I believe that you can use. You, you know, I think that you know, kind of stepping back a bit. Uh, I guess the the one reason I think you guys wanted me on here talking about core data is that I wrote uh, a little framework called Magical Record, and uh, that helps to make a lot of this process easier. And what Magical Record does is give you kind of the idea of a, a default context. And that's kind of what those those templates, those app templates give you as well. They put that, their default context in the app delegate. I kind of let it live separate from the delegate in basically as, a, as its own little variable and you can access it through a category on NS managed object context. Um, but as far as some strategies, um, Magical Record helps do that by, by having that default context and everything um, that you do, like in a view controller, you, you should have well, not should. Uh, it's recommended that you have a context per view controller. But even then, that, that might break down. So the reason why you had all these um, these uh, managed object contexts is to, to manage a certain subset of data. So it's, it's kind of hard to, to explain without an example. So, you know, one example is if you have, you know, a list of data on an app. So you have a table view and it scrolls through all your data and you're kind of in editing mode. So you tap on, on one row 
and it goes to this detail screen. So that first view controller will have its own NS Manage Object Context to load all of that data. Now that detail view controller might have its own as well because when you're in edit mode or you want to edit that particular object, um, you will need a scratch context because you could cancel that operation as well. So by having a secondary manage object context and having your, your editing object work in that particular context, um, you can basically um, deallocate the view controller, deallocate the manage object context, which basically just lets everything be erased from memory. And the thing is, is like all those changes that you made in that particular view, when you go back without saving, that original context doesn't know anything about those original or those those changes. It just has all the original values. Okay, so, so this is kind of like what I guess Ben was getting at with the unit of work thing. It's like you're you're kind of budding off like a separate manage object context to, to do some work and then you can either choose to commit it all all that all those changes in one chunk or throw them all away and, and nothing and it's as if nothing happened. Is that right? Right, exactly. So oh, cool. So yeah, that's that's definitely a, a really good way to use manage object context. But when we're talking about threads though, that's where it really starts to get hairy. Um, because manage objects are not thread safe. And uh, Apple s says this in their documentation, don't do that. <laughs> but people inevitably do. You know, getting back to some previous work as well, I, I wrote a blog post on um, Coco is My Girlfriend as well that um, also talks about the strategy that I use in Magical Record to help make the threading easier. Um, I think it was called uh, Core, you know, Core Data Threads Without the Headache or something. And uh, what you need to do is you need to follow the rules, basically. If you look at the threading docs for, and this is for the old school um, thread isolation management of core data um, threads or, or, you know, objects and contexts and threads and things. Um, the thread isolation model is that you should have one managed object context per thread. And the thing is, you need to do some setup in order to get those objects over to that new, um, that new thread. Uh, so you need to transfer an object from one context to the other and also one thread to the other. And the way we do that is by um, manage object uh, IDs. And those are thread safe. Those are unique. Those are not writable. So you're not going to, uh, you should be able to read those uh, across threads. And, and they are indeed thread safe uh, within the Cocoa framework. So that is, that is the magic sauce in getting um, objects, objects or manage objects from one thread to the next. Now, the thing is, is that before Magical Record, you had to kind of roll your own code to kind of do all of the, the things that Apple says in their documentation. Um, their documentation says that, uh, you know, that again, you need one context per thread, you need to transfer it via ID and all that stuff, and then you need to save it or whatever you're going to do with the context. So Magical Record pro provides a little codified um, set of instructions that follow those guidelines um, using blocks. So what you would do is just say, say you have a managed object uh, on one thread and you want to use, uh, basically make changes to this object and save it in the background. Uh, with Magical Record and, you know, all the, the same strategy as in that article, uh, you just create uh, a block. So you do Magical Record, um, save data in background with block. And it gives you a managed object context to work from. Now, it doesn't know about the data. So what it's going to do is say, um, you're going to have to use the block to uh, load the the data that you want to update 
inside the block, and you'll have to say local context, and you'll, you'll see this in the docs, um, in the magical record docs, local context, I think it's uh, MR underscore in context now, and you will just, and then you pass in the object ID or the object, uh, which then will go and um, that method will go and, and do the right thing as far as um, looking up the, the record basically through core data and returning you a thread safe object that you can then uh, access in that block. And then when that block exit, it'll save it for you in the background. And then I also have things like a completion block that'll notify you on the main thread. Things like that that make all that boilerplate stuff go away, which was the main idea behind Magical Record. There's a lot of boilerplate and core data, and uh, it was really annoying to have to do that everywhere. So I just made it not boilerplate. So hopefully that, that kind of explains how threading should work in the, the thread isolation model of, of core data. I mean, is that confusing enough or <laughs> do I need more examples? <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of core data's uh, problems is that even after reading the docs over and over again, um, reading the core data book, Marcus Ares' book, I still felt as if I was doing it wrong. And I found numerous cases where I was actually uh, doing something wrong inadvertently. Um, and one of those is when, and I think this is kind of a common problem that people fall into, but um, when you're running an NS operation, uh, so I wanted to take an entity and do something with it. And I created a context to work with inside of the NS operation in the alloc, in the init initializer. And then later on, the main method gets called on your operation and, and that operation gets run on a different thread, perhaps. And, you know, I thought I was doing the right thing, but when the operation gets created, it's created on the main thread and I had the context sitting there and then it got run on a different thread and so bad things happen. And so it's, you really have to be careful about where your objects are created and where they're used. Is, right. there, a, is there a way to like fail fast and, and know when you're doing things on the wrong thread? Like, can you, as a object manage object context, like bound to a thread? So if you try and use it from the wrong thread, it will like throw up rather than just silently going, going wrong. Uh, it is not. Core data gives you, um, you know, enough rope to hang yourself with, right? So <laughs> it's, it's up to you to really manage that. Although I found that there's a lot of people that don't understand all that. So I, you know, again, like Magical Record tried to codify the, the way that you're supposed to do that and make the API just far easier to work with. So, uh, you know, my suggestion is to, to look there first, or at least look at that article as to the motivations as to what you're supposed to do and how to build that yourself if you really don't want to use Magical Record. But, but yeah, you, you definitely want to follow the rules in all cases. Um, so I have a, a specific question. Uh, so say you're like importing a bunch of data and uh, the data might already exist in your core data store. So uh, you need to say, do a search, you know, fetch request, say for an object existing with this particular unique identifier. And then if it does exist, then we'll fetch it and we'll just update the properties. And if it doesn't exist, we'll insert a new one. That becomes problematic with large batches. Just right. wondering like what types of approaches would you take to uh, to make that process seamless? Yeah, so the thing that really makes that slow is that fetch um, request. Um, so what happens is anytime you do an NSFetch request, basically you're reaching all the way down to disk, and disk I.O. is significantly slower than uh, memory I.O., so you want to do as much in memory as possible. Um, but in a, in a batch import like that, um, you're more likely going to have uh, many records that you're going to be doing that for. So rather than doing it one by one, uh, you want to batch that fetch request. So the recommended thing from Apple is to say, 
Well, batch all of those records into memory before you start your import process, before you have to start your lookup and kind of batch those into like an array or a dictionary so that you can do in-memory lookups versus, you know, um, network lookups. You know, other things that you can do is maybe optimize that batch array so that you can maybe um, traverse along with your data import structure. So you kind of have an array of existing objects that matches the array of data things to import, and you just increment both arrays, and that way you don't have to do any lookups, really. Um, you just kind of follow, you know, you know, follow the, the trail there. So can we talk about predicates a little bit? Because we kind of, like, touched on that a little bit. But I, as I understand it, that's the way you kind of look up things with, you know, like, say, I want to find all books by a specific author or... Or something like that. Is that? Can you kind of kind of go over how that works? Predicates are, are a whole other topic because they're just they're so in depth, they're so complex. I highly recommend uh, reading the NS Predicate uh, Programming Guide. Um, that has a lot of good information uh, as far as what they are, how to build them, you know, the the syntax, uh, things like that. But the basic idea of a predicate is that the predicate is a way to specify an object test or, you know, it's basically, I think of it as a filter, um, even though that might be an overly simplistic uh, simplification. But I, I think of it as, you know, for, for ORM people, they might think of it as their where clause. Um, but a predicate lets you specify objects and the properties of things that you need to match. And what you want to do is, op you know, the, we're talking about predicate optimization and stuff. So predicates are, you know, a whole complex uh, thing by themselves. They they do a lot of a lot of stuff, and um, there's, there's, I highly recommend reading the um, the uh, predicate uh, programming guide that's in it's referenced in the core data docs, and that that specifies all the syntax, all the keywords, all the things that you can do with a predicate, how to construct one, and things like that. Um, but the basic idea of a predicate is that it's a it's a filter. So, you know, as, as a filter, you know, predicates just kind of, they're a way to kind of do tests on your objects. Does this object pass this test? And that's your filter. If it, if not, it gets rejected. If it is, it gets included in the list. And that's why you, you can use predicates outside of core data. You can use it on an NS array or an NS set. You can, there's methods in there like, uh, array by filtering, uh, elements with predicate or something like that. And there's the same thing with, with, uh, NS set. So you can apply these to normal, um, you know, just cocoa objects in general. But what you want to do is, uh, you know, you know, again, these are the, your filters for core data. So you just, you know, predicates again, they're the filters. So with core data, they're naturally um, app, you know, they're na a natural fit for that. And deep down in the framework, um, core data will translate a predicate into a where clause um, because you can take a predicate. You know, you have your kind of nice. Your predicate format, and that gets broken down into a basically like a, a syntax tree or an evaluation tree. Actually, it's an expression tree. Sorry, and that gets um, translated into a SQL where clause eventually, and gets executed on the core data database. That's why you, if you know the store type, you can optimize the predicate by reordering your where clause. These are basically the same SQL tricks that you would use otherwise, just with um, predicates versus a where clause. And you put the right things at first, and the, you know Gen Apple's general rule of thumb is eliminate as much data as possible on that that leftmost uh, predicate, and that will get you a lot of gain. And that's you know very simple advice, but you know it's it's one of those things that you know that that will do ninety percent of your optimization in in core data.
All right. Well, we're just about at the end of our time, so uh, we need to get into the picks. I really appreciate you coming, Saul. It's It's been really interesting to talk about this aspect of iOS programming. Yeah, I hope it hasn't been too confusing. Um, you know, core data is one of those things that people expect it to work, uh, to do a lot more. I know people who come from Rails and things see core data and they think active record. And that is definitely not the case. Like I said, um, core data is, is quite verbose. It has a lot of objects, a lot of moving parts. And uh, magical record is an attempt to make a lot of that verbosity, you know, shorter. You know, having one-line fetch requests, you know, a really easy way to set it up, things like that. So the one thing I want to say for Magical Record, though, is that it's not a direct active record implementation. There's a reason that it does not have, you know, object uh, save uh, method, because the save method on an object would have to then go to the context, and then that would have side effects. And, you know, I don't want to promote unintended side effects in, in user's code, so... You know, if if core data by itself is is a hard thing to use, you know, definitely use mag- magical record and let it do its its magic for you, and that'll get you ninety percent of the way uh, there. But remember, there's a reason it's not an actual active record clone kind of implementation. So yeah, awesome. All right, well, Ben, why don't you start us off with the picks? All right, I get to go first. <laughs> um, I have two picks related to core data. One of them is uh, Mo Generator. Uh, Mo Generator is like, it's a really old uh, open source project that's still just is super useful. What it will do is uh, your NS managed objects that you create in the designer don't actually create classes for you unless you ask Xcode to do it. And if you ask Xcode, ask Xcode to do it, it will generate a, a file that has properties and that sort of thing like a, a first class object would. But you obviously can't add behavior to that without either subclassing or dealing with your own private category so that you can add behavior to that object. And what Mode Generator does is it reads your core data model and generates the code and does the subclass for you. So if we're doing the books and authors uh, example, then Mode Generator will uh, implement your core data classes as underscore book and underscore author and give you all of the properties that reference you, all of your attributes that you're uh, interested in. And then it subclasses that to create a book and an author class that you then have control over and it won't uh, overwrite those. So as you make changes to your model, uh, those will be picked up. Uh, so I use that in a lot of apps that use Core Data. And my second pick is Pony Debugger, which is a cool little utility that you can launch from your iOS app during development. And um, you can plug in the Chrome development tools into that this little web server it runs. And Chrome has an inspector that lets you do like view hierarchy debugging and uh, logging network requests just like you would in any kind of website. And then there's a data tab that is typically used for HTML5 offline storage, uh, but it lets you view the data in your uh, SQLite database or your core data model. So that's a pretty cool tool, uh, Pony Debugger. And those are my picks. Nice. Pete, what are your picks? I'm amazed I got away with getting my pick in because I thought that Ben was going to steal it. My first pick is a new tool that was recently open sourced from Facebook called XC Tool. So this is a basically kind of a wrapper over Xcode Build. So Xcode Build is the command is the way that you build your your Objective C apps from the command line. Um, but it has some like all things Xcode, it has some wrinkles and little bits of personality. It doesn't always do what you want it to do. Uh, X, XC Tool is is basically Gets into the. I, I haven't really looked into it that much, but I, it it it's actually not just a wrapper over Xcode build, but it actually um, 
kind of hooks into the Objective-C code that runs Xcode build and does magical stuff so that you can do things like running um, running your unit tests in CI and um, uh, stuff like that. So it looks really interesting uh, because it's from Facebook. It's uh, Everyone got really excited when they released it. So that's pretty cool. My next pick is a, a graph database called Neo4j. So when Sol was kind of talking about how core data is is like a you know an object graph it was reminding me uh, a lot of this thing called neo4j so this is not something that you're going to use uh, directly as an objective c programmer because it's a it's actually a java database but if you're also writing back end code it's something to look into as an alternative to um, to those boring old uh, relational databases it's no sequel but it's less trendy than the other no sequel databases but i i really really like it so that's my second pick. And then my last pick is um, a thing called the AeroPress. So this is a super-duper cheap way of making really nice coffee. It's like 20 bucks or something, and it's just p- two pieces of plastic and, and a piece of silicone. And it basically you put the coffee in and you add some water, and then you, you kind of push this push it all through um, kind of a hydraulic press, and it makes really good coffee. And it's great if you're traveling and you're in a hotel, and you um, and you want to actually drink coffee that's drinkable. It's also great if you're backpacking or something like that. So uh, the AeroPress is my third pick. That's it. Awesome. Rod, what are your picks? Um, all right, I'm going to pick... A lot of people have problems with core data syncing, obviously, and uh, there's an alternative core data syncing framework that is actually open source, and it's written by, used by the MoneyWell people. It's called TI Core Data Sync. I haven't used it myself, but I wanted to make people aware of that. They're having issues and they want to investigate that. And my second pick is a app analytics uh, service that just went out of beta called Countly. And they have iOS and OS Mac APIs. So I will be investigating that. Those are my picks. Nice. All right. Um, I've got a couple of picks here. Inevitably, somebody's going to ask me what I use for my podcasting setup. And so I'm just going to run through a few of the pieces of equipment here, probably the most important ones. And that way, if you uh, if you want to know what I'm using, then you know. So the first one is the Heil PR40 microphone. I think at full price, it's usually like 360 bucks or something. But I've seen it on Amazon off and on for you know closer to 250 bucks. So depending on when you go and look, you'll probably see it there. Another piece of equipment that I just can't live without is my uh, Ederol R-09HR. Now, they don't make that anymore. They've updated it to the Roland R-05. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I actually have them both, and they work really well. So um, I've just had the Ederol forever, and that's that's what I'm using. But uh, I really, really like that piece of equipment for, for recording audio. And so I'm looking forward to this working for a long time because I'd be in trouble if it broke. The last thing that uh, I'm working on is I've picked up Aaron Hillegas's, and this has already been picked on this show, but I'm going to pick it again. It's the Big Nerd Ranch Guide to iOS Programming. And already, I'm, I'm only a couple of chapters in, and already there are a few things that are different in Xcode from what it uh, has in the book, but it's still a terrific guide. And so I'm looking forward to becoming much more proficient at iOS. So uh, those are my picks. Saul, what are your picks? Yeah, so uh, so I do this little podcast called uh, NS Brief, and uh, 
yeah, so head on over to nsbrief.com. We talk about a lot of fun developer-y stuff. Uh, maybe not as uh, introductory, but uh, yeah, more topical, things like this, uh, technical for sure. Uh, we recently talked about uh, TI Core Data Sync uh, with Michael Fay, the maintainer, uh, on our latest episode. So uh, it will be something to look up if you're looking into that. So related to Sync, uh, another pick, uh, I want to give a shout out to some friends of mine at uh, Wasabi Sync. Um, this is also a Core Data Cloud Syncing service. Um, it's pretty cheap to get started with it. Um, I think it's free, actually, for for quite a bit of, uh, you know, of uh syncing hits or whatever it is, you know, syncing data traffic. Um, WasabiSync.com. It's it's uh, it's a nice little framework. It uses core data. Um, the guys who wrote it, I know them pretty well, and they do a pretty good job. So if you're looking for yet another alternative to sync that's uh, for pay and they maintain the server and you can access, you know, client data in the cloud, um, that might be something to look into. Uh, another, um, I've got two more picks, sorry. <laughs> um I've uh, I've been doing some stuff with um, with uh, UI colors and NS colors and just colors and code in general, and there is a tool on the App Store um, called SIP. It's on the Mac App Store. It's it lives in your toolbar um, or in the menu bar, sorry, on your Mac. And what you can do with it is tell it to pick a color on your screen, and it gives you a little color picker thing. Uh, but when you pick a color, it will copy it into um, either like a CSS code, a hex code, um, it'll copy it into UI color or NS color based on like some, some of the display preferences and things like that. So, uh, SIP is pretty cool for that just to kind of directly take any color on the screen that you want to include in your app and basically paste that color in directly into your code. And, um, my last pick is kind of a reference from, uh, from my tweet from yesterday. And, um, so yesterday I tweeted about core data. It, it does get frustrating at times, even for, uh, advanced users. And, uh, yeah, my, my tweet was very, um, I don't know, antagonistic. So it referenced, <laughs> it referenced, uh, the movie, uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. So that's, uh, that's my other pick. And you can get that for free on Amazon, Amazon Prime. Uh, I believe it's on Netflix as well. Um, but definitely the scene where Kirk is like, gone. That's, that's how you feel with core data sometimes. Like, geez, core data. <laughs> Shake your fist in the air. Right. So yeah, that's, that's my last pick. It brings back some memories, but yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for sharing. It's always good to, uh, get some other resources that people can go and use to get better. So go check out NS brief. I'll, I'll definitely be subscribing myself. But yeah, thanks for coming again. It's it's so awesome just to get some uh, other experts in here. I mean, we love the experts we have, but <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um yeah, it's been uh hopefully uh everybody understands my blabbering on core data. It's uh, it can be complicated, <laughs> but uh I try to keep it simple. Yep, and if you have any questions, go ask Saul. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> now, leave, leave a comment on the show notes on ifreaks uh show.com. And uh, we'll try and get them answered. For sure. All right. Well, thanks again. We'll catch you all next week.